This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 163, comic reviews for the week of Wednesday, April the 30th. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 163. It's the comic reviews episode for the releases of the week of Wednesday, April the 30th. I am your host, Adam Chapman. Welcome to the show. Every week, with the odd-numbered uh, episodes of Comic Shenanigans, we take a look at the releases from the comics released the week earlier, uh, do a little bit of a quick review, uh, looking at what happened in the issue, what was good, what was bad, what was ugly, and then giving a little bit of, an, uh, of a review number or rating. Uh, so this week, uh, there's a bunch of actually some interesting comics coming out. Uh, there's some, I guess, two or three books in particular that I guess would be big releases for the week. Uh, really just two that I can think of. Uh, the first I want to take a look at this week, um, we have All New X-Men 26. Uh, this felt like a bit more of a return to form after last issue. Uh, last issue I found was, uh, I found it to be quite terrible. I didn't like the whole jam session artist thing. I've never liked whenever Bendis has done that. It's never really worked for the story. Uh, for All New X-Men, I thought it was even worse because uh, the story felt even less consequential than usual in when he, when he does those. Um, I just found it really kind of boring, this kind of what-if kind of idea. It wasn't even fun. It just felt like it went on too long and why did I pay extra money for this and just to have a bunch of creators just throw some stuff together, like it just didn't work for me. Uh, so this issue instead, we have Jean Grey... Uh, dealing with these dreams of, you know, kind of being the phoenix. Uh, Scott comes to talk to her, but it's not young Scott, it's old Scott, and it's got a really fantastic series of uh, conversations between this older Scott and the young Jean Grey. The artwork by Eminem was is just fantastic here. Um, and I just thought it was really, really interesting, and seeing, like, this weird kind of relationship kind of potentially forming between these two characters, I think it's fascinating, and I'm surprised it's taken this long to be able to really examine something like this. Uh, and it takes, like, you know, it's a good eight pages in this issue, but it was totally worth it. Um, you then have pages with uh, X-23 uh, kind of wanting to take off, and um, her kind of being taken out by uh, Mystique, um, you know, not, uh, I guess a lot really happens here, but, uh, I still thought it was really interesting, and, uh, again, setting the stage for good things to come, including the return of the future Brotherhood, um, I was thoroughly on board for this, I thought that, uh, again, Bendis had a really solid script, Eminem really, uh, knocked it out of the park, I'm gonna give it an 8.5 out of 10, uh, really the sequence, actually, you know what, I'm gonna give it a 9. Uh, mostly because of those sequences with Gene and Scott. I thought they were so well done. Uh, it was it was the highlight of the issue and made the whole thing much more enjoyable. Uh, next up is, I, I guess, really the first of the two big releases that came out this week, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one. Uh, it's by Dan Slott and uh, Humberto Ramos on the lead story. Obviously, Peter Parker is back. He's now Spider-Man again. Uh, I found this issue to be extremely forgettable, um, I don't like the overemphasis on humor. Spider-Man's always been funny, but it's like not not as ridiculous as they do as Slot writes them here. Uh, the Ramos artwork kind of just makes it all a little bit worse. So you have uh, White Rabbit and her menagerie, um, and Spider-Man shows up and he's naked except for his mask and kind of web panties he's put together for himself. Uh, we then see. Uh, Peter kind of dealing with uh, the reports of his demise being greatly exaggerated, and he's he's still alive. He's dealing with Parker Industries. Uh, we see Anna Maria um, trying to figure out what's going on uh, with Peter and trying to find him and 
and and it looks like uh, she's finding the ring that was going to be given to her by Otto, so she may think that the relationship is going in a direction that uh, is unexpected. Uh, there's a, a an element here with um, the Electro, which feels very, I don't know, um, like it doesn't really make a big difference to the plot, it just kind of happens. Um, J. John Jameson dealing with no longer being mayor, interested to see where they potentially go with this. Um, having Peter have to like get rid of all the Spider-Man suits and s- destroy everything because he can't be uh, associated with Spider-Man publicly anymore. Um, you have Peter, you know, taken to the streets as Spider-Man, but then Skin ends up basically disrobing him. Uh, everyone's kind of remarking that this is definitely Peter. He's back. Uh, this is, you know, he's back to normal. He's not what they've seen recently. Uh, Peter gets back to his apartment, and and Maria basically says, you, "You're a Spider-Man." Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I just found it was very paid by numbers. Um, felt too easy. Uh, I, I just, I was really disappointed. I, I expected more from this. Uh, then you have an electro backup with uh, artwork by Javier Rodriguez, who I do love, uh, Dan Slott and Christos Gage uh, writing it. I thought this story was not, I don't know, not that enjoyable. Uh, not that great an electro story. Uh, then there's a Black Cat story by Dan Slott and Christopher Cage again with artwork by Giuseppe Camincoli. This I thought was really interesting, and you kind of see how Felicia Hardy's dealt with being in jail and what's going to happen now that she's out. Uh, you have How My Stuff Works by Car- Joe Caramagna and Chris Eliopoulos, uh, which is a kind of a fun, silly little story about how Spider-Man stuff works, um, but not that important. Then you have uh, Spider-Man 2099 and a backup called Homecoming, sort of, by Peter David and Will Slinney. Not really sure how I feel about Will Slinney as an artist, but um, at first I wasn't so sure how I liked his portrayal of the character, but the more I read it, the more I'm interested in him, and I think he could really deliver a really great 2099 book, so I'm interested to see what happens in that book by Peter David and him. Uh, and then you have a really interesting but odd story uh, with um, Peter going to... Uh, to Houston to kind of find out more information about Kane um, because he things maybe didn't go well so well last time he was uh, that him and Spider-Man had an interaction. Um, he talks to one of the supporting members of the Scott Spider's old book, and it's just kind of a weird decision just because to have this kind of story. I guess it's really just to kind of show who the Scott Spider is if you're reading New Warriors for him, but uh, it just kind of feels like a, a long time too late in terms of having a, a solid. Uh, backup to kind of show who Kane is, what he was, what he's been, and where he could be in the future. But, I mean, um, it's by Chris Yost, by artwork by David Baldion. I really enjoyed the backup uh, and thought it was enjoyable. Uh, then you have another backup. This one, I have to confess, I didn't read. Um, wasn't so sure. I, I, I started reading it, and I can't say I was all that interested in it, so I ended up kind of giving up on it. Uh, at some point, I'll go back and try and give it a read. Um... I think this is the one that's going to be continued in Amazing Spider-Man 1.1, the learning to crawl story. Uh, so I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll go back and read it. Um, uh, but otherwise, and then you also have uh, Inhuman number one is included, which I didn't think was very well written or that interesting in the first place. So I just thought this whole package was a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a misfire. The main story didn't really work for me. The backups felt a little bit much. Uh, I give it a six, and I'm I'm being a little bit charitable there. Uh, then we have Avengers 28. Uh, this continues Jonathan Hickman's run on the book uh, with Salvador LaRocca on art. Uh, wasn't so sure how I felt about this story. Um, it's called The Case. I like the idea you have uh, Bruce Banner kind of confront 
uh, Tony Stark about the fact that the, the Illuminati has gotten together. Bruce is kind of warning him about it. Uh, it's actually really interesting because you finally have Tony explaining to Bruce exactly what the incursions are. If you haven't been reading New Avengers, this won't make any sense. Having Bruce continuously injecting himself with a sedative is actually really interesting as well. Um, and at the very end, he gets introduced to the Illuminati formally. Uh, then we see the Adaptoids uh, meeting up with the map makers and becoming more map, make map makers. Um, the issue, again, very uneven. Um, the start, parts of Banner were cool, but the parts with like the other reality and stuff were not as interesting. I'm going to give it a six and a half. Uh, I, I, the stuff with Banner kind of confronting Tony and becoming a member of the Illuminati, that was top-notch stuff. The rest of the issue, not as much. Uh, and it feels like this book has really lost its way recently. Uh, Infinity was so good, and then ever since, it just feels like it's floundered. Uh, next up is Avengers World number five. This continues to be a really entertaining book. Uh, this issue is more or less all about Manifold. It's written by, written by Jonathan Hickman with artwork by uh, Stefano Caselli. Sorry, it's also written by Nick Spencer. Um, so there's kind of a lot going on here, but it's really all about um, banners dealing with uh, members of this team. Anyways, the b best parts of the issue, though, are Eden uh, or Manifold dealing with uh, how his, his abilities have been somewhat altered ever since the end of, uh, of Infinity. He goes for answers, get, tries to get answers from Mother or uh, Captain Universe. Um, and it's in, I'm interested to see where we kind of go from here. As it looks like Manifold will be leading a bunch of the Avengers to Madripoor. Sorry, not to Madripoor, to uh, AIM Island. Uh, I'm interested to see how Smasher's going to be utilized. I like that she basically looks like the new Yellow Jacket, which is kind of an interesting uh, stylistic change for her um there's not a lot of form momentum here but the stuff with with uh, manifold alone make it worth an eight out of ten um he's just been such a, a well-rounded character the way he's been written in avengers um he's very very different and yet at the same time the same as he was in secret warriors uh next up is batman eternal number four um the story remains really strong the artwork has switched hands it's no longer by febok and now it's by um Dustin Wynn, who I'm not as big a fan of. Also, the cover, I thought the art doesn't make a lot of sense. If you look at the, the way that Batman's being illustrated and the, when the way Batgirl is, um, it looks like they're not even really supposed to be on the same page at all. Like they, they just look awkward together because it's like they're fighting each other, but they're not. Um, it continues to be written by Scott Snyder, James Tinney IV, John Lehman, Ray Fox, and Tim Seeley. Again, as I said, artwork by Dustin Wynn, who does serviceable artwork. It's just it's so different from what um, Faybox artwork was doing that it, it, I found it really um, distracting. Uh, we have more development of uh, the police kind of being a little, having kind of an unofficial war on Batman. Uh, you have uh, Stephanie Brown kind of trying to figure things out. Um, you have Batman and Batgirl coming a little bit uh, at odds, and you have Gordon being put in jail. Um, again, the artwork is what makes this suffer for me. It just feels like a it's not as strong or as consistent as the past three issues have been. I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10, mainly based on the art. Uh, the story, as I said, remains fine, but uh, this the artwork, I felt like it suffered. Uh, the next up is, uh, let's see, The Flash Annual number 3. Uh, it's by Robert Venditti and Van Jensen, with artwork by Brett Booth for the Future Flash components and Ron Friends for the Present Flash uh, elements. Um, I just found this... I, I wasn't that interested in the story. It's supposed to be the big, you know, um, reintroduction of Wally West into the um, the DC universe, and instead it feels 
I don't know, the whole story just feels very put upon, the way that Barry's been written here, the way that we're kind of seeing uh, Wally West is not what anyone really expected. Um, I like the artwork by Ron Friends, I like the, even the Brad Booth artwork wasn't bad, I just thought the whole thing was very forgettable. Uh, the future Flash stuff, it just felt played out, even the present Flash stuff felt very, I don't know, unnecessary. Uh, I guess we'll see how this storyline goes. No one's going to be happy with the way Wally West is being portrayed, I think, because he's not the Wally West we know. And I know that's unfair to Venditti and Van Jensen, but at the end of the day, as much as we want Wally West back, we don't want a character named Wally West. We want the Wally West that a lot of people grew up with uh, who became Flash after Crisis. And we're never going to get that, because that doesn't exist anymore. And it's unfortunate, but um, I almost feel like they should have just never bothered bringing in Wally West, because uh, he was never going to be what people wanted. And I feel like people are only ever going to be disappointed by what he isn't and not what he is. Um, which is unfortunate, but I mean, DC kind of wrote themselves into a corner. You have a fan-favorite character, uh, and you write him out. Well, you kind of wrote him out before New 52 even started, and now, ever since New 52 has been there, he absolutely couldn't have existed. And you kind of have a Bart Allen, but not really, and they kind of ruined that whole thing. Um, so the whole idea of the, of the Flash family doesn't exist at all, and that was a huge element of what made Flash so enjoyable and so well-written over the years, especially when Jeff Johns was writing it. So it's really unfortunate, but uh, I don't know. I'm not really a fan of where this book has been for the last little while. Ever since um, uh, Bucciolato and uh, Manipul left the book, I've been very hot and cold, mostly cold, haven't really been that interested in what's been going on. And that continues with this issue, uh, which I'm going to give a 5 out of 10. Um... Next up is Forever Evil Aftermath, Batman vs. Bane. Uh, I don't know how I felt about this, actually. I thought the... Uh, it almost could have been its own miniseries in some ways. Uh, and having it as an Aftermath issue just feels weird. Especially since the actual storyline hasn't ended, as far as I'm concerned. I, maybe I'm wrong, I missed it, but I don't think I have. Uh, it's by Peter J. Tomasi, with art by Scott Eden. Uh, I like... I mean, here we're getting elements that we didn't really get elsewhere. The fact that, you know... Gotham was really taken over, and now we have um, Bane and his allies kind of trying to restore order to the streets. At times, Bane, as written here, feels a lot like the version that was in the movies, especially with the, the clothing he's wearing. Uh, he see, feels like the Bane of the movies, but having him operate, leading the uh, the, Night of the, the Court of Owls, or so not the Court of Owls, the Talons themselves, uh, is a cool idea. Uh, seeing the return of Batman is kind of cool as well. Seeing how it kind of throws everything out of whack. And then the final uh, fight between Bane and Batman is pretty cool. Um, I don't know. I, I like when Bane is, is given a certain, um, not dignity, but uh, nobility in the way he's portrayed. I mean, he's obviously is a thug, but there's a certain nobility to him as well, and I like that. Uh, we definitely got that back when Secret Six was running, because that was a fantastic book with all about the, you know, this kind of this code of honor, this morality that d did exist in that character. For all the bad things he's done, he does have a certain code he lives by. Uh, I thought this was actually pretty fun. I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Solid read. Um, one of the better Forever Evil, I guess, crossovers or books that have been related to it that I've seen. Uh, next up is Hulk number 2. I really, really enjoyed this. I mean, we have the idea that uh, Bruce Banner has had brain damage, uh, so he's not who he kind of really was before. Uh, the Abomination is basically resurrected by these shadowy people, um, and they're going to try and, you know, confront and find Bruce Banner and, and try and stop him, 
Uh, Ruth Banner thinks his name is Bobby. He's in this basically shield-operated, uh, you know, small city to try and take care of him at this point and keep him off the grid so the people don't know where he is. And then he gets attacked. Um, they, it's actually really funny where Maria Hill has to kind of activate the Hulk, so she has to piss off this poor, poor brain damage Bruce Banner until he turns into the Hulk, and so then he can fight up against uh, Abomination. Uh, I thought the issue was extremely well done, really interesting, really fun. I'm really liking what Mike Mark Wade is doing here. Uh, Bagley is knocking out of the park with his artwork. I'm really enjoying his take on it. Uh, I actually give this a nine out of ten. I really dug this. Um, I think part of it is it just feels different. I mean, having a brain damaged Bruce Banner is a cool concept that I don't know if we've ever really seen before. Uh, we've always seen like childlike Hulk and all this type of stuff, but what happens when Banner himself is brain damaged? We don't even get a good sense of what, how that changes the Hulk himself, but um, so far, I'm really digging the story and I'm liking the relaunch. Uh, next up is New Avengers, number 17. Uh, so this obviously even says at the issue that you should read uh, Avengers, what, is, what did I say, 28 first, uh, so that you understand what happens in that book. Um, so we continue the Perfect World uh, storyline with Rags Morales on art, uh, seeing this kind of Superman-esque character in his world, which is all about kind of good, that uh, everything lives, which is a stark contrast to Reed Richards always saying uh, everything dies. Um, I think, I, I wasn't a huge fan just because I felt like it, it took so long to get to the point because we just watched these characters for like half the issue, and then we have a little bit of a kind of tete-a-tete versus uh, Black Panther and Namor, which, to be honest, the way it's illustrated by Mark Bagley, uh, sorry, by Rags Morales, I thought was a little weak and not as strong as I could have maybe expected it to be. The the way that the, um, the characters were drawn, um, I, I just found it was really lacking. It, um, like Namor at times looks almost too much like an in, a nymph, um, and he's almost like giggling, laughing. Like I just found the artwork to be really kind of a detriment to the issue. Uh, the story, like as I said, kind of took too long to get to the point. Um, and, I mean, it looks like next issue is going to be a great one because we're getting the incursion is going to be happening. We're seeing our version of the Illuminati going up against uh, this alternate version we've been watching for the last two issues. I just feel like the last two issues could have just been one. Uh, so overall, I would give this issue about a six. Next up, moving along, is none other than Origin 2, number five. Uh, one of the most pointless... Um, bad miniseries I've read in a long time um, the original one was really really well done uh, the art was great by uh, Andy Kubert, uh, Richard Eisenhower did the art uh, sorry the uh, color art and then Paul Jenkins wrote it, the original uh, the new one's by Kieran Gillen with artwork by Adam Kubert and Frank Martin uh, it absolutely, I feel like it misses the point um, it just doesn't feel like a good book at all um, even like when you open up this issue and it starts out being outside of New York the landscapes just don't look very lived in. Um, they look just very almost like fantasy-esque as opposed to, you know, uh, period piece. Um, the whole issue with, the, you know, the Creed and his sister and then dealing with Essex and then kind of the, the nature of man and Essex just kind of gets dispatched here out of nowhere and uh, then Creed dot is killed and then we learn at the, the, like the last page basically not even the last page, after the last page after the, as like an addendum, we see the real Creed that we know, the Victor Creed uh, as we learn that instead it was Saul Creed that was dealing with that uh, Wolverine was dealing with the entire time this is stupid, I'm sorry, this was really I felt like it was an offense to the reader um, it just 
the entire time it's obviously trying to set you up to believe that this is the Creed who we know and love, even though he looks more like Ultimate Creed. And then at the like the eleventh hour, you switch it around that it's actually Saul. Um, who who cares? Like this is stupid. This is extremely poor writing. Um, this whole five issue series it could have been done maybe as a one shot, not a very good one at that. Um, the artwork by uh, Adam Kubert is lacking in comparison to most of his usual artwork. Um, the only thing that gets this issue a 4 out of 10 is the artwork, because the story is just terrible. Um, it's like a 1 out of 5. Like, it's it's just, it's bad. It's it, This is just a really badly done issue. Um, if I, I feel bad that people even bought this book. Uh, I feel like it's it's pointless. There's no point to this at all. It's it, it just feel like a waste of everyone's time and money. Um... Anyway, moving on is a, a fantastic book, Silver Surfer number two. It remains absolutely everything that a Marvel pop art production should be. Um, you got Dan Slott writing with Michael Arbid on art. Um, Don Greenwood is becoming one of my favorite characters in comics after two issues. Uh, the way that uh, he or she basically masterminds a way to uh, to escape from her prison and uh, and assist all of the fellow prisoners in uh, in revolting. Uh, you have Silver Surfer learning more about Don Greenwood and her potential uh, importance to his future and uh, in his overall existence. Um, the Eternity um, creature that uh, this this female creature that was coming towards that Silver Surfer had to fight against. Uh, we learn more about what she's really about um, and what really kind of ha- uh, helps. Um, what is really the beating heart? Literally, of the the uh, the area or the the weird kind of thing that Silver Surfer found. Uh, I forget what it's called now, but where all those people are, what he was drawn to, and what is really operating or helping them all operate. I thought this was extremely well done, exquisite. I'm gonna give this a nine out of ten. It was just so much fun. Uh, absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, no, it was it was just a really 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 fun book. And last up, we have Wolverine number five, which is. Uh, middle of the road. Um, the artwork by Stegman remains great. Uh, I think it's by Stegman, actually. Now that I think about it, maybe it wasn't Stegman. Uh, the artwork is not by Stegman, my bad. It's uh, It looks like it. it's by Gerardo Sandoval. He definitely kind of uh, plays out the Stegman-like qualities of his art uh, with Paul Grinnell writing, uh, Wolverine you know, being this kind of villain, but not really. Uh, him getting a tattoo, which is a rose. Um, this is kind of middle of the road stuff. The art's good. The story is kind of painful at times to read. Uh, I'm going to give it a, maybe a 5.5 out of 10. Uh, the books I didn't get a chance to look at this week included Avengers AI 12, Batgirl Annual number 2, Batman 66 number 10, Batman Beyond Universe number 9, uh, Bat- Batwoman Annual number 1, um, uh, we got uh, Disney Kingdom Seekers of the Weird number 4. Uh, Green Lantern New Guardians Annual Number Two, He Man and the Masters of the Universe Number Twelve, Injustice Year Two. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, Scribble Knots Unmasked, Crisis of Imagination Number Four, The Adventures of Superman Number Twelve, um, uh, Uncanny Avengers Annual Number One, which I started reading and I really just I, I did not care for it. This weird kind of mojo story 
Uh, it just felt oddly placed. Uh, what if Age of Ultron number 5 and X-Force number 4? Uh, if we take a quick look ahead to the uh, comics that are coming out, as I record this tomorrow, or as you're listening to this, perhaps even today or a few days ago, depending on when you download this, uh, from May 7th, some of the selected releases that we have coming out include Aquaman and the Others number 2, Batman Eternal number 5, uh, for those buying the Batman hardcovers, you've got Volume 4, Zero Year, Secret City, uh, a new issue of Batman Superman coming out, uh, for those following Batman in trade paperback, you have Volume 3, Death of the Family. Uh, you have a new issue of Detective Comics and Batwing, as well as Earth 2. Uh, you've got uh, Green Lantern number 31 coming out, which is part of the Uprising storyline. New issue of Justice League 3000, uh, which AJ at some point, a previous, friend of the show, or previous uh, guest on the show and friend of the show, AJ Reese told me that it actually got better after issue 1. I have not had a chance to really read that yet, but at some point I do plan on doing that. You have Teen Titans Annual number 3, which is kind of weird that they're even bothering with an annual because they just kind of capped off the book already. Uh, and then you have some new uh, trade paperback editions of Watchmen coming out. Uh, then if we look at Marvel Comics, we've got Age of Ultron coming out in trade paperback finally. For those who didn't read it already and didn't haven't listened to anyone who said it's not good and still want to try it anyway, there you go. You have Amazing Spider-Man 1.1, which is the Learning to Crawl storyline by Dan Slott. All new X-Factor number 7 by Peter David coming out. Uh, for those who love Annihilation and didn't get a chance to buy the original three hardcover collections, it's coming out in a new consolidated omnibus format. A uh, new issue of Black Widow coming out. Uh, the first issue of the new Cyclops book is coming. Uh, the new issue of Deadpool vs. Carnage, which I was really not impressed with issue two. Uh, for those following Indestructible Hulk in trade, you have Gods and Monster, which is volume two of the recent Indestructible Hulk. Uh, Iron Fist Living Weapon number two drops, as well as the new issues of Loki, Asian of Asgard, and Magneto. Uh, you have the launch of Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man, new issues of Moon Knight, New Warriors, Original Sin finally gets started, and then new issues of Punisher, Savage Wolverine, She-Hulk, and then you have a bunch of trades for X-Men, including the new X-Men No More Humans graphic original graphic novel, uh, you've got the X-Men vs. Hulk trade paperback, and for those who like giant, overly expensive, odd collections of comics, but really heavy uh, collections, you have X-Men Adamantium Collection hardcover. So that's everything coming out this coming week on May 7th. Uh, please email any questions, concerns, uh, questions, problems, uh, comments, etc. Uh, for about the show to comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes. And also rate and review us on iTunes. And also if you could drop me an email. If you're outside of Canada or the U.S., just let me know what country you're from so I can actually look at your iTunes uh, comment. Um, and again, it's the only way to kind of grow the audience for the show is to... Um, consistently have you know more subscribers and make it a more popular show. And I really appreciate everyone who tells friends who read comics about this show. I, you know, it's only going to become a better show if we're able to get down to more listeners and to hopefully have eventually have a more wide range of topics as well. Our next episode, 164. Um, I originally had mentioned on episode 162 it was going to be a X Men Days of Future Past Primer episode. Uh, it looks like it's actually going to end up being a, the uh, the next solicitations episode instead which will be a comic talk episode. And then uh, we'll, I think in the next coming weeks there should be one or two HeroClix episodes finally dropping. Uh, and then uh, we'll have an X-Men Days of Future Past episode at some point after the movie release on the, I believe, the uh, just at the end of May as well. So thank you very much for listening to this uh, new reviews episode. And uh, we'll catch you next time in our next episode. And uh, stay tuned for episode 165 next week as we continue to look at our weekly reviews. Uh, also, um, the... 
the uh, show is finally nearing 20 to the 25,000 download mark, which is very exciting. So uh, thank you for everyone who's been downloading the episodes consistently. I uh, could not do it without you guys. So thank you very much, and have a great day. Bye-bye.